There are two readings this morning. Um, The first is from Numbers chapter 12, verse 1 to 9, and that's on page 120 of the, the Black Church Bibles. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak, mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. The next reading is in Hebrews chapter 3, which is on page uh, 1002 of the Church Bibles. Therefore, holy brothers... You who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Thank you very much. Well, please do keep that passage open in front of you. It's one of our great desires as a church to sit under the Word of God, the Bible. Um, So please check what I'm saying against the the Bible in your hands. Um, And we're looking at that passage in Hebrews, so page 1002, um, Hebrews 3, 1 to 6. Before we get into it, though, let me say good morning. It is good to have you here. I know for some people, we'll have been looking forward to Sunday morning and gathering together. Others, it was a real battle to even just get here, and so I'm glad you're here. Um, Why do we need this passage, and why do we need the book of Hebrews more generally? Well, this week I was speaking to someone who spoke to me along the lines of this. They said, I find myself wondering whether life would be easier if I wasn't a Christian. I'd have much more time, because I wouldn't be serving, I'd be able to do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. I I wouldn't have the the battle with sin and temptation. I could just give in. I could go with the flow. Not just more time with my mates, but I kind of would, would be able to just go along with my mates in all they think and say and do. 
I could earn more money for myself and I could keep it for myself. I mean, wouldn't all of that be a lot easier? Certainly for those of you who've just arrived and started at university, that question may be on your minds. You might not have told anyone, but it might be on your heart and mind. Wouldn't it be easier just to kind of either dip below the radar as a Christian or just to jump over the fence to give up? Now, that was quite a stark example of that issue of growing weary in the Christian life. I'm actually pleased to say that the person who shared it with me shared it as a prayer request. They said, this, this temptation's coming into my mind, and, and please pray that I wouldn't drift into actually believing uh, that, that attitude. But many of us who have followed Jesus for a while will know that it can be costly, and there can be times when we feel weary, weary of the battle against sin, Weary of sticking out like a sore thumb in our culture or in our friendship groups or families. Wearying of living in the light of promises that we can't actually see right now. An invisible king who will return at a judgment in the future. That weariness was the situation this church was in that the book of Hebrews was written to. We've said this a, a few times, but, but it's even in our passage, isn't it? Have a look at the last sentence of our reading, chapter 3, verse 6 of Hebrews, the very last sentence, we are his house, his people, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. He's saying, look, we need to keep going. Keep going to the end. Endure all the way to the end. Stick with Jesus. Actually, what struck me about verse 6, as I've been preparing, is the tone of that last sentence. Because he doesn't actually say we need to just kind of grimly trudge on, kind of grit your teeth, hold on to the gospel, and eventually, even though every, light of the, every moment of the Christian life is kind of miserable now, at least in the end, it will be worth it. Now look at this language. We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. As in, this author believes that a Christian can have rock-solid confidence in life, and particularly in front of God, and a hope that's so secure and wonderful, they would boast in it, not be embarrassed and try and hide it. No doubt we do go through tough times, struggles, opposition as Christians and as churches. But Hebrews was written to say, keep going with real confidence and hope. So the question for us is, what's the key? How? How do you actually do that? If you're feeling a bit wobbly on the conference confidence front or a bit um, lukewarm on the hope side of things, what do you do? Again, we've said before, but Hebrews basically in two words is consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Take a good long look. Actually, better than that, take a good long think about Jesus. Think carefully about him. Fix your thoughts on him. Give Jesus your full attention. That's what 3 verse 1 says, doesn't it? Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, the word means both. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, so that's all Christians, uh, rich or poor, educated or not, um, ideas kind of people or practical people, academics or not, all Christians who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Give him your full attention. Fix your thoughts on him. If you're new to Christian things, taking a good long look, having a proper think about Jesus is well worth doing. If you've been a Christian for decades, 
having a longer think about Jesus is worth doing. And definitely if you're feeling weary, if you're feeling like confidence and hope is at a low ebb, if you're looking over the fence and thinking, I wonder if there's a better life on offer, take a good long look and think about Jesus. In a moment, I'm going to pray for God's help before we get into the rest of this talk, and both help for this morning and help for the year. But just before I do that, I think I want to point out, I think we, we don't find this easy, thinking hard about Jesus. It's funny, some of us spend our whole weeks thinking hard about all sorts of things, study or work, business. Actually, when it comes to Jesus, we, we can slightly zone out, drift off, think we already know it. Likewise, in our culture, actually, we, we're not good, I think, in, in the West at the moment about thinking carefully about much. We're drenched in information. There's just too much to think about, to think for a long time about any one thing. Uh, you know, there's just 24-7 news, global, national, social news, advertising, entertainment, trivia. So much is coming at us. It's actually quite hard to think long and hard and carefully about anything. In fact, among the younger generations, our devices are training us, training our brains to just quickly deal with things. Another notification pops up, we'll just swipe that away. Something else pops up, we'll just swipe that away. The idea of extended reflective thought is hard in a techno world that we're in. Politics, public discourse has just become sound bites and simplifications. You don't really hear extended, careful discussion. And sometimes in church circles, we can think, surely thinking hard isn't part of the gospel. Isn't it basically, I know Jesus died for my sins. I don't need to know anything more than that. What do you think? To be saved, you don't need to know anything more than that. The gospel is just a free gift where it, to, to receive it like a little child. It is just trusting in Jesus that he does it all. I don't do any of it. That's right, to be saved, that's all we need. But to keep going for the long haul, under the kind of pressures that Christians are under in this culture and around the world, we might need to know something a bit more than that about Jesus, a bit deeper than that about Jesus, a bit richer than that. We might need to sink our roots more deeply into Jesus than just, I know he died for me on the cross. That's the center of the gospel, but it's such a rich story. There's so much about him to love and to trust. And so, therefore, 3 verse 1, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. In food terms, Hebrews is not a kind of quick, fast food, grab-and-go kind of snack. It's a rich meal. It takes a bit of chewing, maybe even cutting up and taking time over. Why am I spending so long on, on just two words, consider Jesus? Well, I think we're probably, for those of us who've been around for a few weeks now, we're probably at the point in Hebrews where we're starting to realize, whoa, this is stretching. Like, this, is, this is, yeah, you've really got to think about some of this stuff. That's a wonderful thing. There's treasure to be found. It's a rich meal. Um, but if anyone's feeling like, whoa, I'm not sure I can really be bothered to zone into that, well, Hebrews itself says, come on, consider Jesus. That's what will help you Stay confident as a teenager in a world that, that uh, is so anti-Jesus on many fronts. That's what helps you to have a hope you could boast about at uni rather than be ashamed of being associated with the name of Jesus. So let me pray. That's my appeal both for the whole year and for this talk. Let's give Jesus our full attention. Let me pray for his help. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for 
the book of Hebrews, thank you for this amazing picture it gives us of the Lord Jesus, your son. We pray very much you'd help us now and this whole year to fix our thoughts on him, to consider him, to give him our full attention, and so to be amazed and grow in confidence and grow in hope. And we pray that would keep all of us going through thick and thin. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's get down to business. You'll see, if you want an outline of where we're going, there's a a kind of outline on the notice sheet. Um, We've already done the top, all of us should think carefully about Jesus. So basically, we've got two points, okay, two big points. Um, Jesus is being compared to Moses in this passage, and I've got pictures today, um, because it's kind of a recap. This this is a kind of conclusion to Hebrews so far. Um, So if you've been in Hebrews so far, and you're like, what's going on? Hopefully this will clarify. If you've just arrived, hopefully this will catch you up um, with pictures to try and, try and keep, keep it simple, even though I'll say a lot. Um, so in verses 1 to 6, Jesus is being compared to Moses. Um, the first point we're going to look at is how Jesus is similar to Moses. And he's similar in a particular way. He is faithful. That's the similarity with Moses. Jesus is faithful the way Moses was faithful. Um, and then we're going to get on to how he is greater than Moses, how he's, he's different and greater, glorious, more glorious than Moses. Um, so that's, that's the plan. Um, Jesus and Moses, uh, how is he like him? Well, faithful, trustworthy. How is he not like him? He's greater. Now, I realize for some of us, Moses may not be a particularly exciting topic to think about. Um, he may not feature much in our minds or lives, but Moses is a massive figure in the Bible. Um, for the Uh, church that is being written to in Hebrews, they've come from a Jewish background. Moses is the greatest prophet, the greatest speaker. You shouldn't mess with Moses' words. That's how they felt about him. And so what an amazing thing that Jesus is like him in his trustworthiness and actually will see greater than him. Firstly then, on this faithfulness um, thing, uh, let me just show you that is the comparison, so you know I'm not making it up. 3 verse 2. Um, Jesus was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in God's house. That's the comparison. Or 3 verse 5, Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant, but verse 6, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So hopefully you can see, faithful, the idea being trustworthy, you can trust him. Here's the next question, that's the big idea, but, but what can we trust Moses for? Like, what was his role that you could really trust him to do it properly? And here I think there are two things. They're they're both there in verse 1, actually. 3 verse 1. Holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession who was faithful like Moses. Two jobs, two roles. Apostle and high priest. So I'll stick them up on the screen. Apostle and high priest. Now, we might not be used to Jesus being called an apostle, or even Moses being called an apostle. That's an unusual term in the Bible for them. We're usually used to that word being called, um, used for the the followers of Jesus who he sent out as official spokesmen, the 12 disciples. Um, But the word just means the one who was sent, and particularly sent to speak. And let me put that up sent to speak. That's an apostle. You're someone sent, like an envoy. I'm sending my representative to speak to you. Um, And Moses was that. In Exodus, for example, when God sent him to Pharaoh, 
to speak on God's behalf in Exodus. Um, this word is used. Uh, he's apostled, he's sent to speak on God's behalf. Okay, so that was Moses. Um, he's, a, he's a great speaker. Um, and then the second word is priest, which is about representation, representing us to God, speaking for us to God. Um, let me make it more simple um, with some arrows. So an apostle is sent from God to us with words, speaks from God to us. A priest, oh, we need another arrow, don't we? Here we go, there it is. Uh, a priest speaks to God for us, offers gifts to God, um, asks, uh, prays for mercy on our behalf to God. That makes sense? So Moses was this kind of go-between, this mediator, go-between between God and people. And Jesus is like that too. He brings God's word like an apostle. He um, speaks to God for us like a priest. Okay, I hope you're still with me. Um, that's the basic idea. That's the two parts of Jesus being faithful like Moses. And the reason we read Numbers 12 earlier, we don't need to turn there, but the reason we read it is because that was a moment when Moses was being questioned. There was a bit of a mutiny going on, actually. Um, Aaron and Miriam were saying, basically, what makes him so special? Like, why does Moses get to always bring the word of the Lord? Like, why can't we do it? Why can't other people do it? There was a, a kind of mutiny about Moses' authority to bring God's word, to speak for God. It's interesting that. I mean, their motives you can read about in Numbers, but, but it's striking. I, I think it might be one of the first places in the Bible where you see an example of today's relativism and skepticism about God's chosen spokesman. Let me explain that. One of the, one of the things often said and thought today is what gives you the right, uh, Christian or Jesus, what gives you the right to claim some greater authority than any other human being? How come you get to make absolute claims but you won't accept other people's? Actually, the same issue. What gives Moses the right to speak with authority about God and how to get right with him? Well, in Numbers 12, that's the question being asked. And then God turns up in this cloud of glory and makes it very clear that Moses was not some self-appointed guru. He wasn't just a philosopher or a religious leader. He wasn't just some bloke making a power play, though there are plenty of them. No, he was appointed by God. He was sent, an apostle, he was sent by God, commissioned by the living creator God, the great I am, to speak for him, to say exactly what God wants to say to people. And that meant to ignore Moses had deadly consequences. If you read on in Numbers 12, actually, immediately after, um, having rejected and, and, and attacked his authority, uh, Miriam is, uh, comes down with leprosy as a punishment from God. Like, it's serious, ignoring Moses. That's just one episode. But as you go through the rest of, of the Old Testament, people who ignore the message Moses brought, um, there's real serious consequences. And now, Jesus is like Moses, a speaker like Moses, an apostle like Moses. One of the things, uh, one of the things my son Josh, uh, he's four and a half, one of the things he keeps saying is, Daddy, is this real? He's, he's a bit confused about kind of real, reality and not. I think it's probably from TV. But basically, so like, um, 
the, the, the tooth fairy. Daddy, is that real? Is the tooth fairy real? Or um, Father Christmas, that's complicated with nursery. Um, or people on TV. So Bob the Builder, is Bob the Builder real? No. Uh, is Maddie from Maddie's Do You Know, which I'm sure you haven't seen, but it's an amazing program for kids um, on CBeebies. Is Maddie real? Well, actually, yes, she is. She can really tell us about... She's a real human being. She can tell us about things. Um, when it came to Moses, it was very clear that he was the real deal. His words were proven reliable over the centuries. And so with Jesus... And actually, this is one of Josh's questions. Jesus, is he real? Because Josh hasn't seen him. Yes. He is as reliable and trustworthy and real as Moses. Faithful, you can trust him. Okay, that's um, Jesus as reliable speaker. And I said at the start, in some ways, this little passage is a kind of conclusion to what we've seen in Hebrews so far. And so I just want to show you, we've, we've heard this theme of God's chosen speakers over and over again. Um, so right at the start of the letter, we talked about um, in, in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 1, how God spoke over the years through the prophets, and Moses was the greatest prophet, through the prophets, but now he's spoken through the Son, who is greater than the prophets, like way greater. We need to make it bigger, um, much bigger. The Son is greater than the prophets, but they are both speakers. Then the rest of chapter 1, Hebrews spoke about the angels. And so rather than prophets, this time it was God spoke through angels, these heavenly messengers, supernatural messengers, pretty big deal. But actually, Jesus, the Son, is an even bigger deal. There were serious consequences, this is chapter 2, verse 2, serious consequences if you ignored the message that the angels brought. They brought God's law at Mount Sinai. Serious consequences if you ignored that, and so even more serious consequences if we ignore Jesus. And now, third one, we've got Moses. Let me skip on. Now we've got um, Moses being added to the picture. God spoke through Moses, but now he's spoken through the son Jesus. And again, there were serious consequences ignoring Moses, and therefore even more serious consequences ignoring Jesus. Do you see the point? You've had all these spokespeople. Um, in one of our student Bible studies, uh, we, we were using top trumps to show this. Um, kind of, if Jesus was one top trump card, and uh, the, the angels were another top trump card, or the prophets were another top trump card, or, or Moses was a top trump card, how would they compare? That's what the author's doing. Now, every top trump card has a, a, theme, a set, has a theme, doesn't it? Like best tractors or best dinosaurs. I hope you still play Trump Trumps. I mean, I don't know if I'm out of date. Um, apparently it's having a revival. That's what the leaders said. I don't know. Um, best dinosaurs, best tractors. One of the associates training here had best skyscrapers, which seems pretty niche to me, but he was an engineer. What's the set that we've been in, in Hebrews so far, the best speakers for God? The best God-appointed messengers, the prophets, the angels, Moses. These are, these are reliable, heaven-sent voices. But now, the son has arrived. He's just as reliable, and yet, as we'll see, much, much greater. Okay, that's the first way Jesus is like um, Moses. He's trustworthy. You can trust his words. And we'll think about the application of that to our lives in just a moment. But while we're on verses one to two, let's just think about the other half. So what about the priest side, the speaking to God, for us side of things? 
Well, if you don't really know what a priest is or a high priest, if that's not kind of doesn't feature much in your thought world, that's fine. Hebrews is going to spend a lot more time explaining this. Actually, all of chapters 5 to 10 are going to explain this. Um, so don't panic. And I'm definitely not going to do all of that now. So don't worry about that. Um, but on the most simple level, the key thing a priest does is speak to God on our behalf or offer gifts or sacrifices, make offerings to God on our behalf. He deals with our sin, our failure, our rebellion with God, represents us. And Moses was described as a priest. We often don't think that because Aaron was the high priest, but actually Moses was a priest. And you see, if you read through Exodus, you will see often Moses standing in the gap between a holy God and an unholy people. It's not just that Moses brought God's words down. He also rebuilt the burnt bridges when the, peop- when the people had ignored God's word. So like the God, well, when Miriam has leprosy, who is it who prays for mercy? It's Moses in Numbers 12. At the golden calf, when having been told to have no other idols or make any images, when the people make an image and worship it, who is it that pleads for mercy? Moses. It's no exaggeration actually to say that the Bible story would have ended in Exodus 32 if it wasn't for Moses and his prayers. God provided a mediator so he could actually keep living with an unholy people. And all of that was preparing the way for Jesus, who stands in the place, who prays on our behalf, who offers himself that God might have mercy. If you were here... Uh, the last couple of weeks. That's why um, it was so important that Jesus came down. Uh, Don't worry if you weren't here. This is just a recap for those who were. But we said how Jesus, the Son of God, had to come down into human shoes. And actually, not just into our living shoes, but into our death. He had to come down on the cross to pay the price for us, step into our place so that he could represent us as our mediator, as our priest, and to God as he's raised up to the right hand of God. I hope you're still with me. I know it's a lot to absorb. But what we're saying is Jesus, and like Moses, is the great go-between, the great mediator who stands between a holy God, the living creator, and his people. He brings God's word to us, and he speaks for us to God. Why do we need to know that? To give us confidence and hope. Confidence, why? Well, because sometimes we do wobble. I think it's often often at at moments of real cost. I've had it actually whenever I'm making a big life decision where there's a fork in the road. And I can see that sticking with Jesus might mean this route. And and actually there might be an easier offer over here. (laughs) I sometimes have that moment Am I sure this is true? Or is it just a man-made religion? Is it just a club we're all part of? Is it just something my parents believed? When we have those wobbles, it's well worth thinking carefully about who Jesus actually is. That he brought God's word to us like Moses, and he's reliable like Moses. There's plenty of evidence from his life and the eyewitness accounts in the Gospels to prove that. Confidence comes too, though, in terms of approaching God, sometimes we feel we've made such a mess of life or just a mess of this week. I couldn't possibly have confidence to really know I'm forgiven, that things are okay, 
that I could approach God in prayer. As Hebrews says, think carefully about Jesus. That's what he is. He's the great high priest, as well as God's great speaker. Hebrews says, consider Jesus. He can be trusted. Okay. Take a breath or a wiggle or whatever you need to to warm up if you're cold. And that's the first point. That's our biggest point. Uh, And then secondly, we're just going to look at how, having seen that Jesus is like Moses in his role and in his faithfulness, he can be trusted to do that job. Now we're going to see how he's unlike Moses. He's bigger, bigger and better than Moses. Um, So this is verses uh, 3 to 6. Just have a look down. Hebrews 3, 3 to 6. And we're going to see how Jesus is better, greater than Moses. Right, let me read from verse 3. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. I hope the point is fairly clear. Jesus is greater, like way greater, far more glorious than Moses, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. Um, why and how is Jesus greater? Well, let's just look at verses um, three and four for a moment. Jesus is greater because he's the builder of the house. He's the creator of the house. But Moses is just a creature in it. Striking, isn't it? Verse 4. Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And verse 3. Jesus has as much more glory as the builder of a house has more glory than the house itself. Jesus is the creator. Moses is just a creature. And actually, you could say that of any of our speakers so far in the Top Trumps pack. Angels created Jesus, creator. Prophets created Jesus, creator. He is the son, the great divine son. Actually, the more I've thought about this, I wonder if this isn't just talking about Jesus as the great creator, but also Jesus as the great savior of his people. You see, the word house here is referring to God's people, not just talking about the universe, like this is the big house and we're all in it and Jesus made it. That's true. We saw that in chapter one. No, I think this is talking about God's people in numbers when it talked about Moses being faithful in all of God's house. It was saying the people of God are like a house and Moses is like a faithful servant in that house. He tells them stuff from God. So if the people of God are the house, well then How do you build the people of God? Like, in what sense do we have a builder of God's people? Well, Jesus is the founder of our salvation. That was chapter two. He is the savior who's built us together, rescued us. If you're a Christian, there's two things we have Jesus to thank for sitting in this room. We have flesh and bones and breath because he made us in this universe and sustains us. The reason we're here as a church, the reason we can praise God and pray to God and expect to be listened to, that's because he saved us. He built us as a people. 
We'd all be doing other things on a Sunday morning if it wasn't for him. So how much greater than Moses? Even Moses actually needed saving. He was a faithful spokesman, but if you read on in the story, he doesn't always get it right. Even Moses needed Jesus to save him. Jesus is greater. And then very finally on this, uh, Moses was just a servant, but Jesus is the son. Son versus servant. Let me just read that from verse 5. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. See the contrast? Son versus servant. Son here is the idea of being the heir, like the royal son, the royal heir, the inheritor of the whole house. That's why he's over the house. Um, It's where Hebrews started. He is the heir of all things, Jesus. And actually, it's great in verse 5, isn't it? It makes it clear Moses really was a warm-up act. Verse 5, he was a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. So Moses was just preparing the ground for Jesus to come. To give you an illustration, um, if you were walking on the Balmoral Castle estate, if you bumped into the groundskeeper, you could ask them about the plans. Do you know there's rumors that it might get open to the public? We'll find out. You could ask the groundsman that as one of the servants of the property. Uh, do you know anything about the plans? And they may or may not be authorized to tell you what's, what, what decisions are, are going to be made. Or you could bump into King Charles on the grounds himself, the, the royal son, the heir. And he could tell you with real certainty what's going to happen because it's his call. He's the son over the house, not a servant in the house. Now that's just 50,000 acres of Aberdeenshire. Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. He is the one who owns the nations. He is the one who will judge the living and the dead. If he tells you how it is at the end, well, that's how it's going to be because it's his call. If Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, well, he knows, because he's the heir, the son, the king. Our time is up. I hope even from that whistle-stop tour of um, Hebrews 3, 1 to 6, I hope we can see why we have an amazing Jesus to boast in. Um, He is the the son, the heir, not just a servant. He's the saviour, not someone needing to be saved like Moses. He's the creator, not just a creature like Moses. And so, of course, his voice is the one we must listen to. And that's why, verse 6, we can have real confidence. It's why we can boast in our hope, because it's built on something really solid. The words of Jesus, the work of Jesus on the cross. A Christian, if you meet a Christian, they should simultaneously be the least confident and the most confident person you meet. Why? Well, we should have no confidence in ourselves. I hope we know that. I hope we know that as a church. 
Um, it's easy, actually, when the building's falling apart and it's absolutely freezing, it's easy to, to not feel too confident about <laughs> what we're doing. But when we get up the road to a snazzy building and lots of programs, lots of life, lots of kind of seeming success, we'll need to remember there's nothing in us to have confidence in. Almost the definition of a Christian is someone who's re- who realizes, I've messed up, I've failed to live God's way, and I can't fix it. I need Jesus too. Christian knows they need a, re- a rescue. So in one sense, no confidence, the least confidence in ourselves, naturally. But also a Christian can have 100% confidence in Jesus Christ. Confidence in the words he brought to us as God's apostle. Confidence in, in the way he represents us in the throne room of heaven at God's right hand as our great priest. We'll hear much more of this. Just look across with your eyes to chapter 4, verse 16. This gives us a sense of the kind of confidence we're talking about here. There's loads of repeat words and ideas in this little paragraph um, from 4.14. He's just been talking about this great high priest, that's Jesus, who's passed into the heavens, the Son of God. And so verse 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. See, when we have such a great messenger telling us how it is, the real deal, and such a great priest representing us in the throne room of heaven, when the King of Kings himself says, you are welcome here in God's presence, there's no way we'll ever be ejected. And so let's hold fast to him. In lots of ways, Hebrews is just saying, consider Jesus. And then he's greater. (laughs) Whatever your current thought of Jesus is, he's greater. He's bigger and better than that. And one of the reasons he's so great is because he is sat at God's right hand right now. You couldn't trump him. You can't upgrade him as a speaker. You can't upgrade him as a priest, as a representative. And it's my real prayer, and I'm going to pray now, that that those thoughts would begin to sink into our hearts. If you're still wondering about the priest stuff, don't worry. We've got another, I don't know, a few months on that as we work our way through Hebrews. But certainly this stuff about him as the greatest speaker should really make us sit up and pay attention to his word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for providing us with Jesus. Thank you that he is not just a messenger about you, but he is the exact radiance and imprint of your nature, that we can trust him when he tells us the truth about how to get right with you. Thank you also, though, that he is our great priest that we can have confidence through his work on the cross, through his praying for us at your right hand. Pray particularly for anyone here today or listening who really is wobbling, whose confidence is at a low ebb, whose hope is sagging, struggling. Please, Lord, would you help them to think about your son? And please, by your spirit, would you lift their hearts to have real joy, and to approach the throne of mercy and grace in time of need. And help us as a church family to be good at spurring each other on in those ways. In Jesus' name, amen.